If you are a scout or coach looking to find or help players, then Pitch is the website for you. It's a startup, but the idea is to complement the scout's role in finding talent, especially in lower leagues. Pitch is likely to arrange trial days in the future, so a scout might be very interested to make a profile. For a coach, it's about the onward development and mental health of released players, helping them find a team or club and provide a talent ID and development reference on Pitch. So make a profile today at www.pitchrmt.com. Hello, myself and Matt are back again with another episode of the Coaches Coffee Club podcast. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Lee. A uh, slightly different one today. Uh, seems like we said that last time, but uh, Mark Hopley joined us. Mark is Academy Director at Northampton Saints Rugby Club. Um, what are your thoughts on the chat, Mark? Uh, Matt, I know we spoke to Mark from a, a different field, but what did you take from it? Yeah, it was brilliant again, wasn't it? Uh, really, really enjoyed speaking to him. What what jumped out at me is the fact that even it's a it's a different sport, a different context. Some of the same key themes kept coming out, you know, about people, about people um, taking ownership over their learning and their self awareness, and about relationships. I think that's really refreshing. That even though we're, you know, the um, the ball changed shape uh, in this conversation, it's still the same same themes that are coming out. Really yeah, good to listen to him. I particularly like the bit around if you try your hardest and it's not quite enough, you're human. If you don't, you're an idiot, something like that. I thought that was, <laughs> yeah. that, I like that bit. But um, enough of you and I, mate. Uh, let's, let's go for it. This is our conversation with Northampton Saints Academy Director, Mark Hopley. Hey, we are joined today by um, someone who I would class as a friend now. We, um, I, I was... Uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, in a position where I wanted to look outside of football. And that's what we're going to do with today's chat. Um, and found this gentleman on LinkedIn, or as my dad thought it was called, LinkedIn. And um, added, added today's guest. Um, he was kind enough not only to reply, but to, um, to meet up, share, be, share everything that he could possibly share, invite me into his club. So I'm really, really grateful for that and, and grateful today that Mark Hopley, Academy Manager um, of Northampton Saints Rugby Club, is joining us today. Morning, Mark. Morning, Lee. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you, mate. Great to see you. And again, thanks for joining us today. And also, personally, thanks for, for being so open and, and willing to share. Um, I've got hundreds of questions that, that we'll get through today. But um, I think it just goes to show the, the power of, of social media and connecting people. And there is... There is good people out there who are willing to share. I know sometimes it gets a bad rap, but without it, I wouldn't be fortunate enough to, to have met you and be able to, to learn what I've learned to date. So we're going to get into it. Um, but I guess the first thing, who, who is Mark Hopley? What's his uh, whistle-stop tour of his career and life to date? And, and how have you found yourself sat here with Matt and I? That's a, uh, that's a very good question. Who is who is Mark Holly? Well, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me on, and um, you know it's a privilege for you to to, to ask me and um, want to listen to my thoughts and my views. But um, I um, well, so my, my current role is head of academy at Northampton Saints, but I've I've been through sort of a, a long journey to to get here. Um, so I left school as a, an eighteen year old, and um, the academies were run differently back then, but um, I got offered a, an opportunity to go to Worcester um, to study and to play rugby alongside that. So I spent three years at Worcester, 
Um, along with that, played some international age group rugby. And from the back of that, got offered a contract at Northampton Saints. So I came to Northampton as a 21-year-old. Um, and in that time, uh, at best, I would say I was a, an okay squad player. Um, but always, <laughs> always had some niggles and um, well, some injuries, which sort of, sort of stunted my development a little bit. But um, I think the key attribute I, I had as a, as a player was I was willing to work really hard. And I think that comes from sort of my upbringing of being a farmer's boy from up north and, and uh, just that, that work ethic that was installed in me as a, as a, a youngster. So I, I worked as hard as I could. And ultimately, I felt that I probably got or fulfilled my potential. So I managed to, I was lucky enough to play 50 times for the first team here. But um, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot of games, but that's actually something I'm really proud of because I think I had to utilise every bit of ability I had to do that. Um, so it, I got to a crossroads in my career at, at 26 where I got um, a phone call and said, can you come to the director's of rugby's office at the time? It was Jim Mallander. And he, and he said, look, Hoppers, we, lo we like you as a guy, but there's no place for you. We, we've signed, you know, a couple of players that are international standards and you're, um, with all due respects, nowhere near that. And we want to take this club in, in a different direction and you're not part of our plans moving forward. So I went away and naturally I was, I was gutted. And, um, but alongside that, I was probably captain of our second team and um, really interested in coaching and working with the youngsters. And I, I, spent, I spent a lot of time helping out the young lads because I was, I was passionate about it and actually I enjoyed doing it. And alongside that, I was coaching. Um, sorry, am I lagging here? You still got me? Yeah, no, we're good, mate. We're good. Cool. Alongside that, I was um, coaching um, for fun at local junior clubs around Northampton. Um, so one day, rejection, off you go, go and, um, go and look for another club. And I was looking at other clubs and my, my personal life was uh, different. I'd met a girl who's now my wife and mother of my two kids. And, you know, uh, the only options I had to play rugby at the level I wanted to play was abroad. And I didn't really want to do that. And then the next week, um, the academy manager that had just been put in place at the time was uh, Dusty Hare who just joined from Leicester Tigers and he had a, a, a reputation for developing young players and putting systems in place and being really good. And I think he watched those games of me playing with the young lads and uh, I got a phone call and said, well, do you want to be an academy coach? And I was like, I'm 26, Dusty. And he goes, well, I think, I think uh, what, from what I've seen, there's something in you that says to me, you're willing to work with those young lads. I think you'd be good at it because actually, with all due respect, you're a shit rugby player. So, um, <laughs> so at, 20, at 26, I was, um, I, was, I was happy to walk away, actually, from playing professionally or full-time or in the premiership to, because I'd worked hard and I'd fulfilled my potential. I, I felt I'd fulfilled my potential. Um, so just I, on that, Mark, is 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 twenty six seen as as like young to start coaching or being academy coach, or is that you just didn't want to stop playing yet? Because I'm thinking in football, academy coaches are it's common to be eighteen, nineteen, twenty in an academy setup. So it's quite interesting that you said oh, I'm only twenty six. Is that different in rugby? Um, I th well, I think just for me at that that time, obviously, I, I probably still wanted to play. 
Um, but then you yeah. look at the bigger picture, well, you play rugby until you're, you know, at very latest, probably mid-30s. Um, so I'm at the stage where I'm 36 and I've, I've got 10 years experience under, under my belt. And I'm looking at the boys now that I played with that are going into that transition period of what am I going to do next? And oh, I'm, I'm, I think about, I'm, I might want to be a coach. And you're like, well, okay, but what have you done in the last, you know, five or six years to help you with that? So I was quite pragmatic about it. Of, of Actually, that would be a career path that I want to do when I, you know, when I'm in my 30s. But the opportunity is here and now. I'm going to grab it and I'm going to see what happens. And I did it. And um, at that, that period, I, I went and played in the championship and, and coached alongside with, with that. So I went and played uh, for a team in Birmingham in the championship. And that was the most fun I had as a player um, because there's no pressure. And then I started thinking about, okay, right. So when you look at yourself and how you perform and you look at the pressure that I used to put on myself to, to perform and go and play, then you go away to away from the reason of why you do stuff. And, and I think I've been on that, that journey a, a well as well, a little bit with, with my coaching and I'm, you know, you've always got to come back to why, why do you do stuff? And it's because you enjoy it or you're passionate about it or whatever your reasons might be. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was interesting for me or good learnings for me. Of, oh, I'm, I'm actually playing rugby now and I'm, I'm enjoying that. I like the social side. I like having a beer with the lads. Um, I can actually help on the pitch and almost be a coach. And then I got to the point of where I was playing where instead of sort of being that um, figure on the pitch that would tell people what to do, I started asking questions. And I started going, all oh, right, okay, so, um, you know, where, where do you think the space is on the pitch? Or how do you think we could do that better? And then at that point, I hung my boots up because I was, I was trying to be a coach <laughs> a player. So, um, yeah, so, so full circle. So I ended up um, coaching in the academy for a couple of years alongside a good friend of mine now, Alan Dickens, who retired at the same time. So he was, a, he was academy manager and, and I worked as his lackey, as it was back then, his young apprentice. <laughs> Uh, putting out cones and collective ribs no not really um but you know, I, I was i was so i'll look back now and i was so green and so naive and I, I had no idea what i was doing really but i had an attitude where i wanted to work really hard and i wanted to to get better so um yeah i i filled a, a, a few roles back then so mainly working sort of with our under 18 group and our senior academy group um, and then Alan, through um, different avenues, ended up going to coach our first team, which meant that I had more responsibility and became our sort of academy head coach, um, overseeing um, the coaching of our senior academy and our under 18s and, 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 and putting in place some structures with our under 16s. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. And then the, there was, again, as it, in all professional sports, a reshuffle at the top end. And our attack coach left, which meant Alan moved from a defence role to, to an attack role with the first team. And there was a, a senior role there that needed to be filled. Um, so I, I initially got, um, you know, a phone call from the director of rugby, Jim Manager at the time saying, there's a, there's, a, there's a role here and do you fancy giving it a go? Um, you know, you've been successful with the, with the young lads and bringing players through. We think you could do, we think you could do a good job. And at the time it was... You get to, you get to a crossroad, I think, um, with with coaching, and there's two distinct types of coaching. I think there's performance coaching, there's development coaching. I think they're very very different things. 
So I always enjoyed that development aspect of working with young people. because I think you can make a massive difference to young people. And I think you can use, for, for me, my best coaching wins have been using rugby as a tool, not to necessarily get a boy to, to be a professional rugby player, but actually to turn his life around and use the skills and, and the discipline that you need to apply that to your schoolwork and your studies or how you go about yourself or how you self-organize yourself to be a better person. Um, my, my biggest coaching wins, hand down, are, um, you know, I would have, uh, I remember my, my wife going to labor with our, with our first child and I bumped into the mum of a kid that I'd, I'd spent a lot of time with and, uh, you know, said hello or whatever. And then the next day there was, you know, uh, a delivery um, with, a, with, a, with a card and it said, you know, um, you looked after my boy and I'll always be grateful, like enjoy, enjoy, um, enjoy your family time. And, and that for me is more powerful than any lads that have gone on to, to, you know, play for the first team or for England or whatever. So there's, there's, there's that side of coaching, developing people, working with young people. And then you go to the performance side where you judge on a Saturday and actually the other stuff becomes less, less relevant or I thought it did at the time and probably been through a process of, of reflection and it's actually, not, not like that at all. But then I went to a, um, a first team role, coaching our senior side, um, working with internationals. Again, I always probably suffered, and people talk about this quite a lot of, it, of imposter syndrome. So I don't think I probably was good enough at the time to, to take that role, if I'm being brutally honest. And also I'd been at Northampton at that point for, for 10 years. And so I'd only, I'd, I'd seen the team do well and develop and win premierships and um, perform really well. And we were sort of coming out of that phase of a team that was getting a little bit older and players, some real influential players leaving. And I was in a, in a, in a position where I had to go and make us better, but actually I'd only seen Northampton for the last 10 years. I hadn't actually expanded my knowledge or my understanding outside of that. So I think ultimately that was, probably one of the biggest learnings is that you've got to get out and you've got to see people and then I became more curious and then you know when people like you Lee reach out and want to talk yeah let's go and talk let's go and discuss let's thrash some ideas out um, and I wish I'd done that for the last you know 15-20 years because that's how you get better you need to learn you need to go and speak to other people you need to see what else is out there you need to open your eyes it's like everything there's some ideas that that don't float your boat or you don't think you can apply and then there's, there's the one thing that you go well, I really like that I can apply that I can put that in my trade and I can use that in my sessions um, but as it was that that season didn't go particularly well so I sort of did a, did a half year and then I signed a two-year contract and um, my contract changed so I went from being on an employment contract in the academy it's safe it's secure so being a first team contract I had a two-year fixed-term contract and, and with that, yeah, the money's quite significantly bigger, but then also it's like, right, you've got two years to make this work and then what? And at the time I've got a young family and I'm thinking to myself, when we're having a, a tough time and a poor run of games or whatever, and I'm going, what if I get sacked? And then I'm going, right, I've got two years, so I'll get a payout, so that'll be okay. But then I've got to get another job. Oh, well, who wants a, you know, a 30-year-old coach that's failed and doesn't you know so so that 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 gave me that job gave me so much stress so many sleepless nights um I was unhappy I didn't want to come to work in the morning 
Um, I didn't enjoy what I was doing. I, and then we had a period of that, that time where we were losing and I had to stand up in front of a room that I, I don't believe was really ever buying into what I was saying. Um, and as it was, Jim Manander lost his job and um, there was a change and I moved from my defence role into a skills coach role. And at that point in time, I was like, this isn't what I want to do. I don't, I don't enjoy the pressure and the relentlessness of that treadmill that goes and never stops. The plan, do, review, move on for 30-odd weeks a year. Um, I need to step back. So I went and spoke to our CEO at the club and said, look, I'm, I'm really unhappy with doing this. Um, can I go back to my old job? Unfortunately, they said, yeah, you, you can. Um, so I went back into my old role. role and, and that's where, Lee, I, I got the uh, sort of coach development role with the RFU. So that was an attached coach year working with the RFU for a year. So I coached England in the 20s. I coached them in Six Nations and a World Cup. And that, 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 that role made me love coaching again working with young people, making them better, actually losing games, which, you know, no one wants to lose games, but that, that role remit was more about developing players and working with players again and going to a World Cup and using that experience for their development. And that made me love coaching again. Um, and then through circumstances, uh, there was a role that came up at the club of uh, academy manager and, and I applied for that role and, and got it. And I'm, I'm 12 months into that role and it's less coaching and it's more admin and it's more organizing and it's more big picture stuff. Um, but that's a new set of skills and I'm, and I'm, and I'm loving that at the minute. Um, do I want to coach more? Yeah. Do I want to spend more time getting to know players and, and, and actually understanding them and, and making them better? Yeah, of course I do. Um, but I'm still trying to figure that balance out at the minute. So that, that's a long winded, um, explanation of, of who I am and, and what my coaching journey has been. Fantastic. I think it's quite evident there that around the, your love for developmental coaching and, and working with, with sort of young players, helping them progress, which, which is probably why you, you've found yourself back in and around the academy. So before we, we dig really deep into that and how some of the tools you use and, and sort of the development side of things within your, your field. Could you just explain what the sort of academy setup looks like? Um, I know when I came and, and had a look for a day, it's very different to the football setup where it starts at seven um, and is all club-based. And uh, you, you touched on earlier relationships with schools, etc. Can you just paint a little picture of sort of what the scenery looks like in rugby? Then we can dig a little deeper. Yeah, so um, the, the first thing that you, you need to understand is that in terms of your criteria to select players into your system, it's, it's a little bit different to, to how football works. So what's your criteria? Is it within one hour of your trading ground? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. There and I imagine that you've got some areas that in that region that's a conflict because other clubs are within that one hour, right? So that their yeah. straight away is strategically, how do I get those players into my system early? Well, in rugby, that doesn't happen. You get given an area from the RFU, which you can recruit talent from. And ours is Northamptonshire, Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire, Suffolk and North East Essex. So geographically, for, for, for my role now, that, that is a difficult area to manage because we're on one side of that region and, you know, Essex is two and a half hours away. Um, so that, that then 
um, goes with how, how we structure things. So at under 14, we're only allowed to start our programs now at under 14. Rugby is a later developing sport. And up until that age, we just want kids to be kids. Go and play multi-sports, go and play everything. And, I, and I, I'm still a big believer that, you know, up to 18, boys should probably be playing as many different sports as possible because they're all transferable. Um, but geographically, we would split our region up into four and our under 14s and under 15s, they would go to those four, four regions and, and do weekly sessions there um, alongside playing at either clubs or, or schools. Um, and the big thing for us is about managing those relationships with those clubs in our schools in our area to identify the best talent at those clubs and schools to make sure that they get signposted to us. Um, so I think relationships is, is probably the key thing at that young age or getting out there and knowing, knowing everybody out there and having, um, you know, a, a big showing of, of Northampton Saints coaches in those areas and people knowing who we are. Um, but alongside that, initially, the amount of phone calls of, oh, little Johnny, have a look at little Johnny, and you're going, you're way off what we're looking for. So then there's another piece of educating all our stakeholders and everyone in our region about what we are actually looking for. Um, so so that, that's how it works at under 14s, under 15s, under 16s. At under 18s, we would then narrow down so our under 18 squad at the minute is about 45 to 50 players and they would come to a central training location um, where we would have contact time with them once a week. And then for our best kids, we would then facilitate an outreach program. Um, at, at six, well, at, at six form, it gets a little bit trickier because you then have a lot of boys that then end up going on scholarships to independent schools, which then the better schools now are kind of becoming more and more professional. So most of them would have physio cover, SNC support there, a really, really tough um, rugby program, weekly program. So my role with those boys is actually to make sure that we are making a, a plan around what is best for the player and what's best for the individual. So it would be looking at their school playing program, looking at our playing program, looking at what those conflicts are, um, making sure that we are compromising and we're doing what, what is best for that individual um, alongside with what his development plan would look like. So that's, that's our under 18 remit. And then we would play an academy league and then sort of February time, traditionally, um, not, not in coronavirus times, we would then select boys to come and train with our senior academy. So our senior academy are your first years out of school. So boys that have just done exams, A-levels or BTECs or, or, or whatever um, further education they've done. Um, and we would select, you know, a handful of those under 18s to, to, to be full-time contracted where they would be put up in accommodation um, near the club and they would train fully alongside our senior squad. So our senior academy group for this year is 16 players. Um, and that ranges from, you know, 18 to probably about 22 years old at, at the minute. Um, but that, that program is, is different in itself. And I think one of the things that we do really well is it's fully integrated to, to the senior group. Um, so then you've got an 18-year-old schoolboy. So, you know, at the minute I've got a, a young second row that's straight out of school. And, you know, every day he's training with Courtney Laws, who's a British Lion. 
And, and for me, that is the best way to accelerate learning because ultimately it's about identifying those better under 18 year old players, but their, their, their proper real development or their proper learning starts when they start full time. And that first year for those boys is actually, well, what does it mean to be professional? How I've been from one training session a day to pre-season where it's three sessions a day and that workload, that spike load, that, um, alongside obviously we put in place you know programs to make sure that's as easy as possible for them but no matter how you do it that's that's not going to prepare them for what it's really like when they when they come in um so yeah that that's kind of how our academy works Lee, if that makes sense but that's probably a lot of long-winded blast <laughs> mark what what do you think the benefits are? Because like you said, it is very different to the football setup. What, what do you think the benefits are of, of not recruiting until they get to an under-14 age? Um, so I would say it changes so much. So that group that we would recruit or ID at 14, by the time it's 16, it changes so much. And you might have a handful of boys that stay in it. But with the boundaries and, and, and how we operate, those boys aren't going to be lost. Those boys aren't going to be lost and they're, they're still going to be there. So we've got what we've got and that's always going to be there as long as we've got and manage those relationships effectively. Um, and then there's just like, it's kind of like, well, when does it stop? Like we go younger and younger and you're competing against other academies. You go younger and younger and younger and all of a sudden we're looking at, you know, a 10-year-old boy and you go, well, he's got so much growth and so much development to go that why do we need to rush it? So if you look at the average age of, you know, your academy boys in football to convert to being first team, you know, professional players, I mean, what does that look like? Because I guarantee in rugby it's a lot later. Um, and that's because we've got time because we've got to develop physical pillar first. If boys don't have physical pillar, then they're never going to be robust enough to play rugby whereas you know in football it's non-contact sport it's probably slightly different um so that 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 they're the reasons and i the more i think about it and the more time i stay in the job i think we are so so quick to make decisions and want to rush where actually you know you look at a 16 year old boy and he goes away for summer holidays and he comes back and he's completely <laughs> grown he doesn't know where his hands and his feet are and then all of a sudden he becomes coordinated again and he gets it again and his body's caught up with him and that, that's going on with those players all the time. And even with our senior boys, I, I contracted a boy that, that's come in and over lockdown, he grew three inches, you know, and he's 18. And, you know, and, and, as, a, as, and as a result of that, we've got to manage him because, you know, he's got some back, back issues going grumble on in the background. So that's, that's happening all the time. And if you start really, really early, I, I just think that that group is going to change massively. Um, so you've got to have your eyes open. Yeah, I um, I guess one of the, the safety nets is the boundaries that you have, isn't it? So there is no risk of another club coming and taking those players because the RFU put those boundaries in, which I, I thought was actually a really, really yeah, so, interesting way of doing it. So you, you can go out your boundaries, but if you go and approach a player that's already at another club, there's just compensation that you have to pay. Um, you know, and, and obviously in the financial times that we find ourselves in, that's, that's pretty big deterrent. But don't get me wrong, for the right kid, it's actually a, a really good option. Um, but yeah, no, in, in the financial times we find ourselves in, there's no way that I would want to go and, you know, 
pay conversation for a player that that ultimately we we need to try and develop our own anyway. So, yeah. One one question I was going to ask you then is with your role now as academy director, obviously there's a lot of emphasis or trust put on the grassroots clubs, the, the schools to develop or continue allowing those players to develop and teach them the game. Because like you said, even you're 18s, you only have contact time once a week. So how much development or sort of culture education do you put into those who are effectively developing your players for you? Um, is that a big focus for you or do you just wait till they're sort of 18, 19 to fine tune them? Yeah, so I'd say that um, that's a really good question and that's, that's so important um, for us. So our, our under 18 level, I would have coaches that go out and visit those players in those schools. So those coaches would go into those schools and would either do skill sessions with those boys or game reviews with those boys. But ultimately as well, they're there and they can go and coach those school sessions. So all along, we want to help work with our schools and clubs to develop coaching. And, and we would have a coach development officer that works alongside us to work with our schools and our clubs to make sure that, that they're doing things the way that we want them to be done. Um, not necessarily like, you know, a, a fixed set of rules around how we want it done, but this is what we would do and this is why we would do it and get them to understand, you know, how to, how to develop players. Uh, I mean, so we still we still get it wrong, and you know I had an, an email from a school teacher saying, "Oh, it's brilliant that um, you know we're not playing any games because we can focus on development now." And I was like, "Hold on!" <laughs> I was like, "17, like what do you mean you're not focused on development now? That should always be what, what we're focusing on." So don't get me wrong, I love winning, and you've got to develop winners as well but not at the detriment of development. So with our under 18 group, there's a way that I want them to play. There's a specific skill set that they need to have if they're going to come in here and if they've got a chance of kicking on and being, being professional players. So if, if they have only a limited amount of games a year anyway, and we spend most of that time kicking the ball away because it's wet and we, you know, we're learning how to manage games. Well, actually we're not developing skill sets and we're not. So, but the consequence of that is that we might give away territory and field position and, and we might put pressure on ourselves. But I'm, I'm happy that it's actually the right way to develop. So actually, if we lose a game because of it, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Um, you know, and in, in lockdown, we did a, uh, we did a coaching collab with um, Southampton. And, um, you know, they, they, they said that they were they're in a similar situation where they had a way of they wanted to play, but results weren't necessarily going their way. So we had a good conversation about how, well, how do you manage that? Because, you know, I, I remember getting a phone call from our, uh, from our CEO saying, well, your under 18 results haven't been very good and we haven't got anyone selected in the England under 18 squad. And I was like, well, do you trust me to do my job or not? Um, and he goes, well, what do you mean? That's a risky question to ask. Like, well, ultimately, are you going to judge me on? Are you going to judge me on under eighteen results, which ultimately don't mean anything? It's nice to win games, but they don't mean anything. It's about which five or six of those boys are going to have potential to play on, on on Franklin's Gardens on a Saturday when they're you know nineteen twenty. So, so what's the process for that? It's about using that as an, a tool for them to learn. I know which the best kids are. I know they've got time. 
and then they're real learning or we can accelerate learning when they get in that full-time environment so because they've not played for England doesn't uh, under 18 doesn't mean that they won't so someone like we've got George Furbank at the minute who's you know came through our system as a 14 year old boy and he, he played for England in the Six Nations last year but in between that he hadn't played any representative representative rugby so I was like well there's, there's a process and there's an, there's an outcome so just trust our process trust we know what we're talking about don't worry about results at lower age groups because it's more important when we get a bit older um, and, and and you know we've got we've got buy-in from from top down so yes yeah we want to win and we want to be competitive but my CEO and my director of rugby are aligned to what we're about developing players um, and, I, and I think that that helps me a lot with sort of that that big picture view of what we're trying to do. Well, um, I had another question, but then I'm going to jump on something you just said. Then, so I might I might come back to the other one. But when you talk about processes, and um, this is something that we've sort of Lee and I have spoken about quite a bit around focusing on the processes and how the um, outcome will will reflect the processes you've got in place. What, what sort of key processes do you focus on um, you know, on, a, on a daily or weekly basis that, that, that you, you know, believe that will, will result in the right outcome? Oh, well, so if you, if you take it from a, a, a player point of view, being really, really clear with those players, uh, making them more self-aware. So I think with our full-time players, it's about them or educating them to a, a state where they are so self-aware about what they need to do and how they go about that. So initially, when they come in at 18, you know, you go and do a development plan, and it's fucking way off, way off what I'm thinking about what they need to do. So, right, there's a process there about making them aware about where they are technically, tactically, mentally, physically. And, and, and when the penny drops, and when they become self-aware, and when they know what they need to work on, and who the person ahead of them is that they need to take in that in the senior squad and how they're going to do it then that that is a that's a good process and there might be lads though that then you come back to that just just won't make it or they're they're just not good enough Uh, and my conversation with those is always well if you apply yourself as well as you can every day and you don't get to where you get to and that's the same when you're playing games then it's not for lack of effort, it's because you're human. I was like, but then if you make mistakes and then you don't do anything in the week to make yourself better and, you know, you just, you're lazy or you don't work hard, then you're an idiot. And that's down to you. So what do you want to do? Do you want to, you know, do you want to work hard and do you want to get to where you want to get to? And actually, do you want to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I've not made it because I'm, I, I, I just didn't get the break I needed or I, I I wasn't good enough or is it because you were lazy and you didn't apply yourself so for me the, the biggest process um, I think with all the players is just getting them to to understand that there's no substitute for working hard and then actually understanding what they need to do to get better I think that's the biggest thing with our with our senior boys and then with our with our younger boys it's um, allowing them to be young lads allowed to be young lads and we would select the younger lads on on different criteria so you know there might be a 16 year old boy that's six foot eight tall but doesn't know where his hands and feet are and is a beanpole well 
we can work on his physical pillar and we can teach him how to play rugby. But ultimately, if we don't identify boys that are massive to play in the second row, then we're probably not going to develop any second rows. So what I always come back to, it, it depends on what you're talking about. But um, I just think that, that, that working hard and that, that work ethic um, for, for young people and being self-aware and self-organised um, is massive. And, and the quicker we can accelerate that, the better. Yeah, that's, you... that's brilliant. Sorry, Lee. That, I was just going to say that was actually my, my other question was around what was it that you're looking for in, in players? But again, we've talked about before that it's, it's all about learning and, and self-awareness, I guess, allows you firstly as a, as a person to get better because you can recognise what you're good at and what you need to get better at. But also, when you're playing, it's about understanding your strengths yeah. So soon, if I'm up against you, and hopefully not on a rugby pitch, but if I was, I'd have to work out what I'm good at and what am I better than you at very yeah. quickly. And the person who does that the quickest will probably, you know, outwit the opponent. Yeah. So I, that self-awareness thing is really important. But how many times do you get a kid come up to you after a session and say, oh, can I have some feedback? Can I have some feedback? All the time, all the time. And you go, right, okay, what am I going to say to you about that session? And they give you the answers. I'm like, well, yeah. you know the answers. So why are you asking me for feedback? <laughs> or like you're completely way off. This is what I actually think. And then there's a good, good process. But yeah. that, that, and, and that's just a need for them to want to justify that, you know, you think they're doing well or whatever. But um, yeah, that, that's just the, the nature of, 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 of young lads nowadays. And I, and I think, I think the other thing that, um, when you were talking about making players self-aware is actually making boys or young lads actually be the key person in their own development. So the quicker that they understand that they are the most influential person in their own development, the, the, the quicker that process happens, the better it is for them. So I'll stand in front of a load of parents for our under 18s and say, look, you know, as much as, you know, you're here to support your boys, they need to be driving their own development. So I don't want you to pick up the phone. You can if you want and say, you know, why is Johnny not getting selected? But I want him, part of his development is learning how to have a, an awkward conversation. And, and kids hide behind text messages and emails or whatever. Pick up the phone, come and see me. Let's have a conversation about why you're not playing and what you need to do to get better or what you need to do to keep, keep improving. And I think young boys hide away from that um you know i'm quite old so when i was young i used to have to pick up the phone and, and ring someone's house phone if i wanted to talk to a girl and get past the dad first that's an awkward conversation <laughs> but now with technology we hide, hide hide behind you know um you know swiping on phones or whatever so yeah how how do you make boys become uh, take ownership and and get used to those awkward conversations it's 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 not that easy you're right. That is, that is pressure. Yeah. That's real pressure. <laughs> one, one thing on the, on that, that, that I found fascinating from when we met before was around the, in football, we call them ILPs or their learning plans. And I thought the way that you approached it just to put ownership back on the boys was really interesting. How you said about uh, filming the boys and it being in their own words. So that when you come to the review, on the screen, it's them saying, I'm going to work on this, this, and this, so that then your role was just, well, you said you were going to do it. It's not my 
um, learning plan I've given you it is yours. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that because I thought that was that was really quite an interesting spin on it, and and it makes sense now. Well, just I mean, we we go through different different um, things when we're talking about learning plans or development plans. There's different ways of doing it, and one of the ways that we've done it in the past is recording boys. You know, make a plan, agree it. And, it, and then it's about making them accountable and, and, and owning that plan. So one of the ideas we had was film them, record them, you know, this is your plan, it's agreed, go away. Okay, go and work on it. And then in your follow-up meetings, you know, some of them are really diligent and go away and work really hard, but some of them forget about it. And, and I'm a big believer that I'm here to help them as much as I can and help support them as much as I can. But one thing that I won't do is I won't, I won't do it for them. They've got to drive their own development. And the, the, the lads that go on and be successful are the ones that are bloody minded that they're going to be the best they can be. Um, whereas the ones that rest on their laurels and don't work hard or don't do their extras are the ones that won't make it. And I'm here to help them as much as I can, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to grab you and be badgering you to come outside and do some extras. So part of that process was, right, let's record you, let's film you. You've said that what you're going to do, you said what you're going to work on now, go away and do it. We'll review in six to eight weeks or whatever. And then bang, you play that video and some of them, the look on their face and you go, well, it's a waste of time on this meeting, lads, because we, we've done it, we've, we've gone through it, we've, we've spent time talking about your development, but actually you're not, you're not living those behaviours, you're not owning it. So what's the point? Um, or you go, right, that's what you talked about last time. Yeah, I've done that. I've, I've, I've actually done this as well. And you go, okay, you've, you're starting to get it now. Um, yeah, so that, that's, one, that's one thing we've done. We've just done end of season reviews or end of year reviews for our boys. So they've all come in and, you know, again, it's, uh, it's about developing them as people as well. So we've said, go away, present on your year, come in. Boys have done it different ways. Um, you know, but they, they go away, they think about their year, they think about, you know, what they need to stop doing, start doing, you know, or or what their aims and objectives are moving forward. And that's just another way of, of doing it. But again, it's all about self-awareness and what do I need to do to get better? Great stuff. Let's, let's talk about on the grass, because again, I was fortunate to come and see some sessions. Um, Matt and I... Um, are in agreement that we, we like to use games as coaching tools um, and use various conditions and, and things like that. I'd be interested to hear what your coaching preferences are or if there's any similarities between the two. Um, how do you like to work with your team with your developmental head? What sort of things are you using when you're on the grass with your lads? Um, so ultimately, it'd be, very, it'd be similar. But... Um... So I'm a big believer that you've got to play games and you've got to let it go flow and you've got to, you've got to have chaos within sessions. Um, but at the right time, you need to go, well, stop, pause, freeze, whatever. What have you just done? What was your decision based on? Why have you done that? And, and question around it or go, okay, so you know what the answer is. You just haven't done that. Go and nail it now. And you need to, we had a, a good conversation with one of our younger coaches. He's a brilliant, brilliant coach. Um, and his reflection is, oh, I've come probably a bit too far down the game route and I need to probably, you know, stop sessions and critique a little bit more. And you're like, okay, brilliant, fine, off you go. But coaching is exactly the same as playing. You've got to go and you've got to, 
you've got to go and you've got to do it and you've got to be allowed to make mistakes and that's how you learn and that's how you get better that's the whole plan and doing reviewing process isn't it so you know we go and coach and we go oh that didn't really work that very well okay well you know let, let's think about how you do it differently when you go and do it again um you know we we would go in, in skill rotations every now and then so you know, three stations, three groups, you take, you know, three groups and you do the same practice three times. Well, which one's usually your best one? It's your last group because you've coached it twice and you've learned from your mistakes and your, your, your third your third group, you've absolutely nailed it. And you go, why <laughs> not the first two? But because you, you learn from your mistakes and you critique it and you move on, don't you? And that's, yeah. So, but same we would do um, a lot of games for understanding, um, but then, you know, for the technical bits, we would do breakouts and, and focus on, you know, what, what that might be. So it might be a catch pass. It might be tackle technique when we're actually allowed to do contact. Um, might be clear out technique, um, whatever it might be. It might be kickers going away and work on those, those, those skills that they need to, to work on. Um, so, yeah, a, a mixture, a mixture. That, that was going to be a, another sort of question because when I came to watch it's probably 18 months ago now, two years, there was, I think, did you call them skill blocks? There was little five-minute blocks. Within yeah, the so there'd be individual skill blocks where players would um, get a message or, you know, there's going to be two skill blocks today. Think about what you need to do, what your work-ons are in line with their IDPs. Um, go away and, and, and think about who you need to do to help with that and, and off you go. So those blocks run and there's coaches there that would have been tapped up beforehand by players saying, I want to run this or I want to work on my breakdown or my tackle technique or whatever it might be. Or you might get, you know, you fly off saying, I'm going to work on this particular shape and I need two forwards to, to help me with that. And again, it's that process of making boys aware of what they need to work on and who they need to do to get it better and going, right, off you go, go and run it. Um, Let, let's just, let's dig into that, because I don't think you're giving it justice, mate, if I'm honest. Coming from a football background, the, the way that the football session tended to work was technical practice, then we might go into an opposed, then we'll have a condition game, then we'll finish with free play. Um, and it was quite every minute accounted for as the team. What, what struck me when I watched your session was there'd be a, a team element, and then within a five or six minute block, whether it was the coaches were transitioning between one practice and the other, that was where he said, right, now it's a skill block. And then the players took over. Now, when we yeah. watched the more senior lads, it was a lot more fluid because I think the 16s, we said, it was, it was a new concept for them. But yeah. I found that quite fascinating that the, the quote-unquote dead time for you as a coach where you're picking lifting cones or whatever, that was now over to the players and, and they went and did their position-specific work in groups and a lot of them, there was only, I think, two two coaches there that night and probably 20-odd lads. But they were going and working their own group stuff. And I found that quite fascinating that, one, it was a good use of time, but also the the ownership and the, the awareness stuff that the players were getting out of it. That, from a football perspective, is probably something we're losing or, or lacking at the minute. Yeah. So so you're talking about that. That was probably an under-18 session, I think, that you were watching there. So, again, when you when we first put that in place it was messy and boys didn't really know what they were doing you saw boys go away and you know get in a pair and just boot a ball at each other or whatever it might be <laughs> not, not thinking about it but then that's again you go back to your learning process so you go back to um okay right what are you trying to work on here okay well how how can you put this under more pressure or 
Um, what is it you're trying to get out of it? And then, and then making them more self-aware about, okay, yeah, I, I get it now. I've thought about it. I know that this is what I need to do. or I know that I need, you know, five people to be able to make this practice work or make, make this skill, skill work or, or, or whatever it may be. So there's a process where you've got to go down. It's going to be messy. It's going to look like shit, but actually we're going to come out and we're going to be better for it. And again, for me, it's about those boys when they come into our senior environment, knowing what it is they need to get better at. And, and you know, what, what we can't have is those 18-year-old boys going to a senior session and just standing around looking, <laughs> looking completely out of place and completely lost. Um, and that, but that, that then, Lee, is something that else that I'm thinking about in, in my role is how do we get how do we get that learning to be shared between senior players and younger players, but it happen organically? Um, so, you know, last year we would have had one of the, one of the best open side flankers that, that probably played the game play for us called um, Hans Brousseau. And there's, there's no doubt the work that he did with one of our younger lads coming through Lewis Ludlam um, was one of the reasons why he's gone on to play for England because he's, he's learned from one of the best and he's been in that but how do we make that happen naturally across the board? And I don't know what the answer is at the minute, but that's something that we we're talking about as a, as a club going, you know, how do I get, how do I get, you know, Dan Bigger to, to, to spend time with, with one of our under 18 fly arts, which, which, you know, Dan's a brilliant guy. He will definitely do it by the way. So, um, but how, how does that, how does that learning and that almost like, you know, I'm number one, but I'm going to pass all my knowledge down to help out those younger people. I think if we get into a state where that happens naturally, we'll, that will be one of the strongest development tools out there. Do, do you think what you're doing now is, is almost paving the way for that to happen? So uh, when those lads it, now, you know, you're working with the 18, all those senior players, will you have given them enough um, self-awareness and the, and the communication skills to be able to do that. And maybe, maybe it's then that it will happen organically. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a good question. So we're in a, a situation at the club where we've got a relatively young squad, but half of them are homegrown. So over half of our senior squad have come through the academy system over the last, you know, 10, 12 years. That's brilliant. Um, which is, you know, which, which is brilliant. So I feel, feel real comfortable going to most of them going, Oi, come on remember what you were like when you were younger or, and, and they, they'd go away and do it. But ultimately I want them to do it naturally. Um, and it's, well, it's, it's just, have you got any ideas on that? How you do that? Because I think it'd be a really powerful thing if it, if it, if it did happen naturally. Yeah. I think, I think that is, um, I mean, we, we've seen it with some of the, we have some of our older professionals coming in and working with our, academy players as part of their coach development you know so maybe yeah. they're they're planning their exit strategy you know from football um and that happens that happens there because they're coming in to to develop themselves as a coach so you're getting that sort of natural um you know osmosis of, of information um and then you know when you do speak to some of our our players who are getting the opportunities up and around the first team you are hearing the, the similar names that you know that have been really good with them and giving them the information, yeah. and you know maybe, you know maybe that is because they've had that opportunity to start their coaching journey, so they're actually thinking about the game maybe in a, in a different way. Um, 
football, I think, could be quite different to, to rugby when you know you're, you're talking a lot about self-directed. Um, in, in football, it's historically, I think it's changing, but historically, it's very much led from the coach. And, you know, we spoke before about Brian Ashton and, and, and Brian's philosophy is, is the other way around completely. It has to be led by the player and, you know, um, very much aligned to what you're talking about. Um, so I think it does happen in pockets, but, but like you say, how, how you get that to happen on a whole scale where it's happening with the whole squad working with all of the young players, you know, I, I don't know. And I do think maybe it is time. I do think that perhaps what we're doing now, you know, a lot of the times Lee and I are talking about developing people first and players second, and that's happening in clubs, um, in football clubs. And what you're talking about is very much, you know, probably ahead of where, where we've been talking. Maybe it is a matter of time. And, and when the players that, you know, have been exposed to this now get into that first team environment, perhaps that'll be when, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding sort of thing. We'll, we'll find out whether it's working. Well, be interesting. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd say on that, Mark, I think seeing your environment, it, it is happening naturally. You said the fact that the, the, the 18, 19, 20-year-old lads, they, tr- they follow the first team schedule for training and, and, yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And the fact that you have position-specific work, so there'd be like scrummage coaches, forwards coaches, backs coaches that group is not just like a starting senior 11. It's if you're a a hooker, whether you're 18 or whether you're 29, 33, you're in that group. And I was quite, quite clear to see that in those sessions, whereas in football, the under 18s probably never train with the first team unless the first team want an 11 to play against. And there it's, it's sort of combative. It's not working together. So I think your environment probably forces that naturally because and what I liked as well how you got the young boys there's a game coming up on the Saturday the, the, the first year pros they're setting up as the opposition or or they're playing a specific way and there might be a non-starting senior player who's in the opposition team for that day and they're you tasked I think a, a young second row to go and watch how the opponents take line outs and then he has to coach the other and it was Maybe it was just how you do it, but from an outsider looking in, it was quite well thought of. And, and the, the need for communication between first-year pro, senior pro... And so just, so, just so if, we, if we touch on that a little bit, I'll give you a bit more context around how he would do that. So obviously every week you're playing against someone else, but that actually allows us um, to prepare the younger boys to go and do some analysis on opposition teams and how they play and what their trends are how they might like to attack, what their kicking strategy is, how they defend, where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and then prepare ourselves to play as those oppositions. So within that, you've got boys doing analysis on opposition players every week. You know, that might be looking at lineouts, what their formations are, where the space is, what their movements are. And you're learning another team's plays every week. And then um, ultimately, those players are, are naturally getting those, oh, okay, I, look, I quite like that play. I quite like that play because it manipulates someone here or there or whatever. Or I like this movement because actually, you know, no one can chase me down or no one can, no, no one can chase me up from it. Um, and, and they're all along, all that process naturally is them, them figuring out how to be a better rugby player. 
Um, so that is that is massive. And you you know you read books or whatever. You think about uh, is it Tom Brady when he was on the scouting team when he was youngster, a youngster? He used to own that, and that was probably his biggest biggest thing he did. He used to own that and make people accountable if they didn't know their roles or whatever. You know, get stuck into them, and that's that's essentially what what our non twenty three would do. Um, at back end of the week. Love that bit. I couldn't couldn't not ask you, man. I'm conscious of time. I know you're you're a busy man. So you touched on it earlier again, quite modestly, about the work you did with uh, the national youth sides, the under twenties. So tell us tell us about that. Um, did your developmental head have to come off slightly, or is it still very much focused at developing even at England under twenties? And tell tell us about that, man. That must have been a fascinating experience. Um, well, so, so their philosophy there was they, they wanted to make players be able to adapt to win. Um, so that was a remit we, we got given. Um, and obviously since then I've had time to reflect on it and, you know, feedback to the, the RFU pathway about how they should actually run that programme, which has been really valuable. So I'm in a situation then where I'm head coach of an academy but then I get given time to go and coach England. Okay, so I've got my day job and I've got to do plans and plan the coaching and for, for what's going on at Northampton. But then I flip out of, of Northampton mode and I go into an England camp where I've got a new set of boys and I don't really know the players. I don't know what their strengths and their weaknesses are. So, okay, well, that's a big remit in itself. And I think we go away from actually knowing knowing boys and getting to know what boys' reasons for for playing rugby are and getting to know those individuals and how you can get the best out of those individuals. So I think in, in, in the context of the 20s, I didn't get that relationship initially with those boys. And that happens over over time. But one way I would look at it is that you can't have a coach from a club coming into that environment and you expect them to do a really, really good job. Yeah, you can know your stuff technically and tactically and 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 how to, you know, develop and add layers on to, to get to a, an end outcome. Um, but I found that really, really difficult, not not knowing the boys. Um, do you think that's the most one of the most important parts of coaching? Because me and Matt have reflected on all sorts of stuff we looked at over lockdown and, and that was a strong message about relationships. Yeah. So I would have, I would have done exactly the same Lee. So I, I went away um, in, in lockdown and, and, and thought really hard about what, what I liked in coaching and what, what I don't and how I can be better. And I've gone, I've gone away from relationships because of I'm, I'm being pulled here, there and everywhere. And it's like, well, actually, if you're saying relationships are the most important thing, and you've got to make time to go and to go and make them and get to know boys and get to know, you know, what's going on in our lives. And that that would be that would have been my biggest um, bit of advice to the young coaches or younger coaches that I've got working with me. Go and get to know the boys. And all of a sudden we're case conference in a player and they go, Oh, by the way, just so you know, he's got X, Y, and Z going on in his life, which is Mike White. And you go, Okay, that makes sense to me now. Okay, so let's make more of a pragmatic decision based around that player. And it, and it might be, right, we're going to actually keep this player in our programme because he, this is the best thing in his life and it's more important than, you know, than rugby. So that, that's, yeah. that becomes a different decision. But you, I don't think you can ever get away from knowing your players, knowing what makes them tick, knowing how to get the best out of them because everyone is different. Um, 
So yeah, in a, in a 20s context, I found that difficult to start with. And then it's a completely different challenge coaching wise than you'll ever face before. Um, because ultimately you get a completely new squad that's assembled. We've got two days of training and then we've got to go and play an international. So the, the question there is, well, what information is important to give them and what's not to give them? And at that time, we had three attached coaches. So I'm doing the forwards and the breakdown. There's someone doing the defence and there's someone doing attack. And we've all got loads of knowledge. And when you're a coach, you, are, you know, I've got knowledge, I've got knowledge. I want to <laughs> give it everyone. And actually, that's probably the worst thing that we, we did is that everyone wanted their, their bit. And I'd gone full circle. So I've been through that performance coaching and come out of it and wanted to go back into development coaching probably had a decent understanding of, okay, we're going to start at A and then we're going to move to B and then we're going to get to here. And by the World Cup, we're going to know this. Whereas some other coaches came out and went, well, you need to know all this and you need to know all this. And we went and played away in Ireland and we had an unbelievably talented team and we didn't perform. And it's that, um, I would always say that the information versus um, promotion and if you give boys too much information, then that affects how they play emotionally because they're thinking about shape and structure or whatever, and they're just not being themselves. You need to give boys a, a framework and then let them go and be good at what they're, what they're good at. Um, whereas if you're thinking about, oh, well, how many line-out calls have we got? Oh, oh shit, I've forgotten how to jump. Do you know what I mean? And, and, um, so that, that, that was a really, really unique challenge. Um, Whereas if you're in a club context, you've got those boys every day and you can work with them every day and you get there. So that, that was my biggest learning of how do you increment what's important and what's not and, and get to where you want to get to. Um, but that then comes down to, you know, we probably felt that at that time there was a pressure to win. Whereas I would say that if I was to do it differently, we go, right, well, we've got the Six Nations to develop and try and make mistakes or whatever. And then we've got a World Cup in June and that's what we've got to go and win. Um, and then that's a different, that's a different task. Um, but yeah, no, thoroughly enjoyable experience. And, and, and as I said, it, it made me love coaching again. Mark, when, you, when you're talking about self-reflection, there was, there was rewind 45 minutes ago. When, you were talking about your, um, you mentioned imposter syndrome and worried that you maybe weren't good enough to be in an environment. Um, you talked about the stress of working in a performance environment. Do you think your perception of yourself and, and your perception of your skills at the time impacted on the stress that you felt so because you felt maybe that you weren't good enough to be there, did you find it a more stressful environment? And, and the follow-up would be that obviously since, since your time away from that uh, environment, do you think you would feel differently if you had to or chose to step back into that environment? Do you think there'd be less stress and maybe a little bit more belief in yourself? Um, yeah, well, the, I've definitely learned a load. And at the time... It was horrific. And if you ask my wife how, what I was like around that time, and, and it was difficult because, you know, I, I became a dad and, um, and all of a sudden I had this like 
increased workload and you know you go home get your laptop out you're reviewing games you're reviewing training you're planning what your meetings are going to be the next day you're thinking of ways to keep it fresh you're thinking about you know a million things you're doing your opposition prep you're trying to so I, I go back to work ethic and when things didn't go particularly well I literally try and work harder which would ultimately be spend more time in front of my laptop spend more time doing stuff where actually yeah. I should have spent more time with the players and I should have used them as a sounding board and gone, well, you know what, well, what, we're, what we're doing isn't working. So what do you think we need to do to get it better? And we've got some really good players with unbelievable knowledge and actually using those people to drive my messages would have been a lot stronger. Um, so the, the time to reflect on how you do things differently, um, you know, like, of course, if I did that role now, I would be better at it. But I went from being a, a coach where my specialism would have always been, I'm going to be a, a forwards coach. So I'm going to coach scrum and line out and maul or whatever. And I'm going to focus on defence. But I then became a defence coach. And all of a sudden, I'm you know trying to talk to George North, who's a British lion, about how to defend from a scrum, where I've never been in that position. And I've never had to defend in the back line from a scrum and what the best ways to do it are. And that's always the limitation of being a forward, trying to coach defence and do, do defence in the back line. So there's no substitute for actually just doing it and making, like I said before, go and make mistakes. I made shitloads of mistakes in that role. But would, would I be better in that role now? Of course I would be. You've got a better understanding about, you know, the intricacies of your backfield coverage and, and how you want that to look. And which I didn't, I wasn't strong enough to go, this is how we're doing it and this is why we're doing it. And now I would feel like I could go, this is exactly what we're doing. And this is why we're doing it. And let, yeah. and let it go. Um, and, you know, that, that, that's part and parcel of it. But then also reflecting and probably having a better understanding of the kind of person that I am. So I'm someone that, um, you know, you do your insights and I'm, I'm sunshine yellow. And I like to know, you know, alongside that, where I am, what I'm doing. And all of a sudden you put yourself in a position where it's like, well, you've got job security as long as as long as results go well. Okay, yeah. and now I'm starting to twitch a little bit, and and just actually understanding like go back to why you do stuff, and I think that's really important. That the ref time of reflection of for me, what's important? Well, for me, first and foremost, it's family, and the first thing that neglected when I got into that role was family. So, well, that's one thing that's a non-negotiable for me moving forward. I can't be in that position again. And actually, what do you enjoy doing? Because to get out of bed and actually go and love, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on three weeks leave at the minute, but I'm in work because I love it and yeah. I've got stuff to do. Okay, in that, in that period of time, I wasn't getting out of bed going, yeah, I can't wait to go to work today. Um, whereas, you know... Tuesday night I'm, I'm with the under 18s and I'm, I'm you know bouncing around and I feel like a kid again because I'm <laughs> loving what I'm doing um so you've got to you got you've got to go on that journey to figure out what what you love doing and why you do it and for me I, I've, I've, I've I'm satisfied with that need of that performance coaching and senior stuff and I've done it and I don't really want to do it again um and, and look of course if there was a time and and, and, you know, nearly happened again this year where, you know, coaches move on. There's a, there's a role that needs to be filled. Yeah, I'll do it because I love this club and they've been good to me. Yeah. But ultimately, I want to I stay Not well. Not your driver. 
no yeah. exactly um yeah so that's that's where i stuff am I mean, the question i would ask you guys is what do you want to do Oh, that's 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 a whole episode then, that isn't it? That's a... yeah. <laughs> when yeah, we've, that one, we've spoken we we we've spoken about this quite a bit, really, and, and like like you said, I think you have to focus on the processes, and then the outcome will take care of itself. So, you know, I think I probably started, you know, rewind ten years, maybe I started with a position and a role in mind. I want to do this. And actually, I think I'm now more at a point where it's about mastery. It's actually just about progress and wanting to get better and be the best coach that I can be. And underneath that, you know, I've highlighted three or four areas that will help me to become the best coach that I can be. And if I become, you know, and if I dedicate myself to that journey, then, you know, roles will change and, you know, different experiences will come alongside it. But I think you have to focus in my head, I have to focus on, on the process rather than the outcome. And particularly in, in football, um, it's, it's quite illogical sometimes, you know, if, if you, if you work in a organization, you know, you might have different levels that you work through. So uh, I work at this level, I get this qualification and then I will automatically move to that level. And it doesn't work like that in football. It's quite illogical and quite uh, uh, erratic and, you know, random sometimes. So I think by focusing on the processes, you take control back of your life and your career. And that's probably at the point I'm at now where it's, it's more about mastery and, and the other stuff will, will sort of come with it. Yeah. Um, and, and stuff like this is about it's helping, helping me on that journey to, to become better because straight away I've, I've got three three notes down on my phone that, that I will be taking away and exploring from this. So this is part of it. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. I'm, I'm a bit like you, Mark, in the sense that other things also become more important or come to prominence in your life, don't they? Like I'm, I'm about to become a dad. So there's that kind of thing. I don't want to miss out on time. Like you, you, you said there, you regret living in your laptop when, finding that balance is really important to me not only being as good as I can be at what what I do but try and have other things because sport and coaching doing what you love as a job can take over can't it like you said you've got your three weeks off but because it's a passion it, it's not work almost is it so I'm I'm trying to be conscious that I still I still make time for other things as well and, and sometimes that's really tricky isn't it especially with the demands and the sort of the hours of the week that that training and games fall but i'm conscious that speaking of time mark's got things to do matt's probably got some things to do today so a couple of quick questions mark before you go um sure. what's been your fondest memory in coaching um it's a good question so probably um taking a group so we um, in 2014, we won the under 18 Academy League. Uh, so we, we went to finals day and we, we, we won that game. And actually the, the process of those boys coming through to that team, to developing that team to now a number of those boys have gone on to play for either England or for our first team. I think that is, that is, um, my best experience in coaching and a, and a rugby 
sense of the word. But the best thing that I've done in coaching is um, used it as a tool, use rugby as a tool to, to keep people either out of prison or enhance their, their lives. And, you know, some of the friendships that I've made off the back of that are, are, are invaluable. And that's probably, that's probably my proudest thing that I've, that I've achieved from, from coaching. And what about your biggest challenge then? What's been your biggest challenge in coaching? Uh, my biggest challenge is definitely the um, the period of time when I was doing doing that senior job. But um, you know, we've talked a lot about that. But that was that was challenging for a number of reasons, and that's how you learn. Have you any personal targets for the near future? That is a very very good question. Um, so at the minute, I'm um, learning on the hoof uh, in my current role. So you know, definitely for me. No, I've been I've been at this club now for, for 15 years. Um, at some point, I will have to leave. <laughs> at some point, it might be when I retire. I don't know. That would be uh, one option. But then just looking at what I love and what I want to do and what those other options are out there. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. But I, I don't have any plans on, on moving on from what I'm doing until I become the best that I can be. Good stuff. Um, is there anything that you'd recommend us or our listeners read, watch or listen to um, from a sort of development perspective? Or if you've got any good film, film <laughs> recommendations, mate, as always. <laughs> um, I just think that being curious and wanting to learn. So, so, so for me, my, my personal headspace is, is going for a run every day or as often as I can. And that is about trying to find decent podcasts or whatever that I can just literally go and get lost in. Um, so just, I, I think just being curious and, and getting those recommends. And for me, it's, it doesn't feel like I'm, I'm, you know, reading a book or whatever, if it's something that I'm interested about. So what are you interested in and what, what, what do you want to, what do you want to get out of it? But for me, it's more like it, it, in my current role at the minute. So I've just finished a book actually called um, Never Split the Difference, which is about um, negotiation. Um, and that's by a, um, a former CI, uh, former FBI nego hostage negotiator. Um, and that, that is really, really interesting. But again, that's something I can apply in my current role about negotiation. And, you know, I, I'm going to take something out of it. So that, that's, a, that's an interesting book if you've, Got to negotiate a contract with a, a boss in the in the future. <laughs> Love that. Last one, mate. Um, is there anyone that you'd recommend we try and get on for future episodes that either you've had insightful conversations with or or you'd like to hear from? Um, that is a living good question. So I've got a friend that um, he used to do a senior coaching role at Leicester Tigers. He's called Richard Blaze, and he. Um, I had a tough time, stepped away from coaching um, and then went on a, bit, a different sort of coaching journey. So he did a, the attached coach year the year before I did with the RFU. And then he spent two years coaching England women's team. And he's just gone out of that and joined Wasps after lockdown, um, which they've gone on their own little journey and they've just gotten to the, the, the premiership final. Um, and I talked to him quite a bit actually about, you know, the, pressures that he used to feel versus what it is now and I think because of the the journey that he's been on it's actually an interesting one to go well, I've gone away I've, I've 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 coached different you know 
people I've, I've worked with women I had to change the way that I do things and I've reflected and now it's now it's a now it's a job so someone like Richard Blaze would be be worth doing that I can hook you up with I was going to say we might might lean on that one um thank you mate last are you a football fan would you class yourself do you, you follow football or well, recently so funny enough when um when my son was born um we were we we were in hospital, and the, the boy that was born just before him, um, their family are massive Liverpool fans, and I'm married to a Scouser, so I'm a I'm a, I'm a red by association. Um, so since then, you know, we went to uh, we've been we've been to Anfield a few times, and uh, yeah, I'd say I'm a I'm a Liverpool fan nowadays. Uh, usually, we ask for an all-time England eleven football team. I'm not sure if you could muster one. Oh, absolutely, no chance. <laughs> David Stephen in goal. <laughs> Mark, you'd still probably do better than I did. Yeah. So don't worry. <laughs> no chance. No. <laughs> Listen, um, I guess, Mark, we, we'll, we'll have to wrap that. We could talk for hours. I'm sure you'll agree, Matt. I can't thank you enough for your time, mate. Thank you for your openness, being willing to share. It's, uh, it's, I know personally I've really appreciated it and I'm sure the listeners will take loads from today. So um, I hope, again, great to hear that the new role is is going well and you're, you're thoroughly diving into it. I'm sure you'll be a success from what I know of you. Uh, I can't thank you enough for your time and, and sharing today. Matt, anything anything you want to No, to just, just to reiterate that, really appreciate it, Mark. It's really good to meet you and thanks very much for your insight. Well, for, from my point of view, thanks for, uh, thanks for thinking of me and, and, and inviting me to come and, come and talk to you guys and I'd say the, the the biggest thing for me is is about sharing and stuff, and um, I'm fortunate to to work at a club that in normal times are, are really open, and work with a director of rugby who's really passionate about developing people. So we're we're really open environment, and you're more than welcome to come and spend some time with us whenever whenever you want, or and if restrictions allow it. So yeah, no, definitely. Look, let's stay in touch and let's uh, let's keep learning. Great stuff. Thanks again, mate. Enjoy the rest of your day. If you are a scout or coach looking to find or help players, then Pitch is the website for you. It's a startup, but the idea is to complement the scout's role in finding talent, especially in lower leagues. Pitch is likely to arrange trial days in the future, so a scout might be very interested to make a profile. For a coach, it's about the onward development and mental health of released players, helping them find a team or club and provide a talent ID and development reference on Pitch. So make a profile today at www.pitchrmt.com. Thank you.